Well, Zach, I just want to start by saying I'm sorry. It's going to take me a while to forgive you, Cooper, uh, but you can go ahead and tell the listeners why you're apologizing. Well, I, I hope this doesn't lead to the breaking up of our podcast. Yeah, me neither. But, ladies and gentlemen, listeners from the Philippines and beyond, <laughs> <laughs> I need to tell you all that I have moved into a new place of living mm. and have been given new roommates. Yeah, that one hurts. It yeah. hurts quite a bit. To How's be fair, feel, you're man? also about to get a new roommate. That is true. And I, th- I would say that I'm getting the better in the, of the bargain than you are. But I would agree. There's, but, there's, a separate, there's a divide between us now. There is. And it's multiple walls and even roads. There's a lot of roads, actually. I think a yeah. mall. There might be a mall between us, too. Yeah. North Park Mall is just separate. It's the great divide. But you know what's in North Park Mall? Lululemon. Great American cookie. <laughs> oh, that's right. Which is actually not the sponsor, but man, it'd be awesome if it was. That would be amazing for your sponsor by Great American. Oh, no, but guys, that's right. I'm. Uh, I got new roommates. I've moved out. I uh, just we got back from camp. That's why this one's on Zoom. I'm actually in Dallas. It just didn't work for us to meet up in person. So yeah, yeah it. Get, I mean, it feels good to have you back in Dallas. Not gonna the lie, air is sweeter with you in it. I'll the air that. is much sweeter. And I mean, everything's bigger in Texas, but the air is sweeter with Cooper. It, no one. I mean, it's not a lie. That was my actually senior quote. No way. Yeah. Dude, I'm Marcus proud of Waters, you. That might be, where I, might be where I heard it. But yeah, I'm a little jelly. Not going to lie. Little, little jelly of the new roomies, but it's okay. I've spent a total of probably one hour of time with all of them combined. So about um, 20 minutes. Thoughts? Uh, great guys. Honestly. New and improved, might yeah. I add. It's great, man. I'm, they like, they like, I mean, they, I feel like I'm, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. Even though seasons change, people move on. You, the environment around you changes, Cooper. The time we had together is never going away. Mm, that is true. And, and the memories there's new, there's are forever walls. deeply branded into the membranes of my brain. Yeah. And our room was unique. We had some unique features to our room. Well, we had a couple rooms. We did. We had a studio. We did, we, we did have a studio, uh, which we can count as a room. It was multi-purpose. A lot of things happened. It was. We loved our studio so much we slept in it. Yes, we did. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and Monica got to work out of it. It was great. It was a multi-purpose yep. room. It was wonderful. Started in a dorm yep. room, worked our way up to an apartment room, which had mm-hmm. a special feature to it that we were just talking about. And that was a disco ball. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, if you were I mean, a college sophomore, get a disco ball for your room. What if... If you're a college sophomore, how have you survived your freshman year without a disco ball? I know. It just, I mean, that's what I'm you walk in from a hard day at work or class and you look up and you're like, wow, the party don't stop till I walk in and I just walked in. Wow. And then we moved on a- again to a hotel room. We did. So Gosh, our, our senior living situation wasn't quite built yet, wasn't ready for us. And so we moved into the Holiday Inn down the street. Sweet life of Zach and Coop. That's exactly right. It kind of was the best time of college, though. Free breakfast. It was. They made our beds. Made my bed. And they always touched my stuff all the time. So. I loved it. It was I always loved, neat. I love when people mess with my thing <laughs> that I don't know. I love it. And then we finally moved into our, our final resting place of college, Ford Village. That's right. 
and we loved it. We worked through some hives the first few nights. Yes. You see an earlier episode about that. And now we're separated. We've also, we've we've shared a lot of stories about Ford Village. That's where we started our podcast, dude. That's true. I mean, that's where the studio is. It's where we watched that tender embrace of our neighbors, (laughs) our neighbor and her boyfriend. That was way too awkwardly long. Yeah. Uncomfortable. Yeah. That was terrible. Uh, Anyway, but as we were saying, seasons change. But what we had never will. You know, there's that old Dr. Seuss quote. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Because it happened. That's right, baby. It happened and it was epic. And I'm smiling. I don't know if you can see. Yeah, it's kind of dark in your room. Yeah, I know. It's new, guys. Yeah, I mean, they they like keep it pretty dark and like are pretty messy and stuff, right? Our living room does not even have a light in it. They're like not cool, right? It's like, oh, no, they're awesome. Wait, what? Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my former roommate and co-host, Coop McCullough. It just kind of came to me. I know it hurt. (laughs) Oh, well, hey, it's, it's, I'm happy to be your ex, man. Well, (laughs) Well, all my exes do live in Texas. That's not true, but That's Cooper me. does live here. Cooper got a great interview. I'm excited to hear it. It's my good friend from Birmingham, Alabama, Sean Lovejoy. Some call him Lovejoy, peace, patience, gentleness, you know, the whole goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, self-control baby. Uh, Sean is the CEO of Courage to Lead, which is a coaching firm for leaders that specializes with pastors or ministers who are struggling in, in the ministry or need a little push, a little, a little help in their leadership. Mm-hmm. He gets to come alongside them. So obviously the, the, I mean, the name of his organization is Courage to Lead. So what better thing to talk to him about than, than Courage? And we walk through five aspects of courageous leaders, five things that courageous leaders do. And I was telling him at the beginning, I was like, some of these things that we talk about aren't exactly what first come to mind whenever I think of a courageous leader. When I think of a courageous leader, I think of Mel Gibson just riding yeah. a horse with war paint in front of the Speaking Scottish Army. Scottish accent, yeah. Yes. I mean, it doesn't get any courageous. more courageous than that. does not. But I mean, that's what I think of when I think of courage, but courage goes much more than that. Being able to step out and be vulnerable, be, be candid with, with the people you leave, choosing respect over popularity. I mean, this is just good practical stuff to be a courageous and well-rounded uh, leader. Man, that's awesome. I'm excited to hear it. <laughs> well, Coop, I'm, I'm excited to get into it. So without further ado, here's my interview with the Sean Lovejoy, Peace, Patience. Just kidding. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self Well, Sean, it's so nice to meet you. Thanks for being with us. Uh, I'm excited to learn from you, to ask you some questions, to learn about you and what you do at Courage to Lead. So start by introducing yourself. Who are you? What is Courage to Lead? How did it start? Kind of tell me your quick little story. Well, it's great to be with you. I hope I get to learn from you today. Maybe we learn something together. That's the goal. Uh, I, I, I call myself a spiritual entrepreneur. You know, I, I had success early on in the marketplace. I was a real estate developer. I was making a six-figure income in my early 20s. That used to be a lot of money Oh, it uh, back in the 90s. And I'm still in college. It's a lot of money, Sean. <laughs> and God brought revival to my life and really to my whole church, you know, through a Sunday school class I was teaching and kind of ruined me in the best way. And I felt like God's calling me into the ministry, 
you know, so I walked away from that great career, went off to seminary, started a church in my living room that grew to be a mega church. But I always felt like the church grew um, despite my preaching, not because of it. I always felt like an executive trapped in a pastor's body. Yeah. And I realized most pastors weren't great at the between Sunday stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was and um, started coaching pastors back in 2001 and just realized over time, like I'm a, I'm a good pastor. I'm an even better coach. Mm. You know, began to coach some marketplace leaders, you know, along the way. And then almost six years ago now, we made a prayerful decision to hand off our church and do the coaching full time. And um, it's been a wild ride since. So we have, I don't know, almost, I think, 20 coaches from Los Angeles to New York now. We're working with ministry and marketplace leaders all over North America. And we talk about helping leaders grow healthier and grow faster. Right. We've worked with a lot of fast growing churches, you know, over the years. And the faster you grow, the faster you can get unhealthy. Right. And just because you're not growing doesn't mean you're not healthy today. But in the long run, healthy things grow. So I'm all for the Great Commission, just not at the expense of the Great Commandment. Mm. So we talk about the gears of growth, culture, team, systems. I've been studying fast-growing churches for almost 20 years. I call those the three irreducible minimums. You know, most people think it's their song selection and their preaching. Right. You know, and their discipleship flavor. Yeah. Um, their ecclesiology, their theology. You know, all of those, you know, I, I think there's a lot of different ways Jesus can bless the church, but it really does come down to leadership. Hmm. And I know that's something you're passionate about. I am. And I think leadership is a huge driver. And, and part of that and kind of what your organization is built around is this idea of courage. And, and that's really what I want to talk to you about. What does it look like to be a courageous leader and what do courageous leaders do? And I was thinking about it actually on the way over here. And I was like, what could I use? Like, what is an example of, of leadership? And I was like, the only thing that kept coming to my mind is like any Mel Gibson character ever in a movie or any of these movie characters that are just courageous and, and you want to be like them. But for you, how would you define courage and leadership? And then how do they kind of intertwine? Yeah, well, first, you know, I've never had an original thought. Um, if, if anyone's ever listening to something Sean Lovejoy has said and says, so it seemed like I've heard that before somewhere. I'm like, <laughs> Absolutely. I've never had an original thought. Like right. every great thing I know, I learned from somebody else. It's one of the reasons mm -hmm. why I believe in coaching. John Maxwell said leader, leadership is influence. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the challenge in a lot of churches nowadays is you've got people discounting themselves from the leadership title. Right. They have influence, positive or negative. You know, if they're a gossip and a backbiter, if they're not supporting the pastor, if they're not on, on board with the vision, um, that's a problem. You know, because leaders have influence. And secondly, you know, I define courage this way, refusing to allow your emotions to paralyze you. Mm. So I love that. Leaders are afraid. If you don't think for one minute Joshua was freaking out, walking toward the Jordan, a million people behind him. <laughs> and God says, I'm not going to part the water until your feet touch it. Right. Okay. Now think about that. If, you have to walk. If that water doesn't part. I'm about to be trampled right. and drowned. You know, I, he was freaking out on the inside. Yeah. That's why he had to say, "Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You know, the Lord your God's with you." I don't know what this looks like, but we're going to press on forward. So, it's it, the reason why churches stop growing. To me, it's simple. It's a lack of courage. Mm. They're afraid to make the decisions they need to make. Right. Fear of two families that are going to leave. 
that are big givers, you know, or they're afraid to have the conversations that they need to have. You know, Susie can't sing the usher can't ush and nobody will tell them. (laughs) Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. You're laughing yeah. Because you're thinking of two people right now, aren't you? Zach? <laughs> uh, I might be. Uh, no names. No names. We'll, we'll talk after. <laughs> and so we've got people who think they have the gift of teaching and the gift of prophecy and the, you know, this or that or the other, or they're not, you know, the toxic behavior on the staff and we won't confront it. Right. And if, if you don't have some courage to confront and choose to be respected over light, you know, you become a people pleaser rather than a Christ pleaser. It's a slippery slope, my friend, and it'll have your church stuck. Yeah, it's very slippery. And and there's a reason if you read through Joshua and you see the stories of him leading the people under God's leadership, there's there's a reason they, they got it to tell him multiple times, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Because It's we, the most common command in the Bible, by the yeah, way. Yeah, because we are not naturally courageous. We are naturally, I would say, bent towards fear. And thank goodness we have the hope of Jesus Christ that we can look towards and he, we can look at him and say, we do not have to be afraid. We can be courageous because of what he's done for us. I, I love that. And you kind of walked through a little bit there in, in your definition of what uh, courage is and kind of what we'll talk about. But there's really five things. And I, and again, I, I'm not original either. I stole this from you. So we're in the same boat there. But there's I really stole five, it from someone else. Well, we're all just, we're all just <clears throat> thieves is what it comes down to. Uh, but there's five things that courageous leaders do. And I really just want to walk through those with you and kind of go in depth on each one and and get your opinion on, on those. And so the first one being courageous leaders challenge the status quo. I think that's huge. People are so afraid to step out, make a change, be courageous about something you believe in. So what does it look like for leaders to challenge the status quo? Well, you know, again, taking a page out of the old Testament prophets, you know, godly prophets were the most unpopular people in town, right? Because they did not tell people what they wanted to hear. You know, they called people to repentance. Nehemiah walks in. He goes like, don't you guys see how ugly our city is? Don't you guys see the walls are broken down? And frankly, everyone had gotten accustomed with the way things were. Mm -hmm. And a prophet sees it first, but then he has the courage to speak up about it and says, hey, things are not okay. We're playing church here. But it's been months since that baptistry pool was wet. Let's be honest. Like, we've got to stop defending what's not working. And we've got to start changing our philosophy and our posture so that lost people want to come in here and hang out with us. You know, well, that's not a fun conversation to have. Let's just be honest. Nobody comes up to you after that sermon and wants to shake your hand and hug your neck. You know? (laughs) Yeah. So, Courageous people, though, confront the status quo. Things are not okay. Jim Collins says in his book, Good to Great, you know, from the secular world, it's a biblical idea. Jim doesn't even know it. You know, the first step to becoming a great organization is to confront the brutal facts. Hmm. You know, 50% of churches didn't baptize anybody last year. Right. It's amazing. That's incredible. It's remarkable. Do you think there's a, there's a, aspect of comfort in that? Like when you said we're comfortable in the status quo and so we're not willing to step out and change it. How do we break past that wall? Well, I do think it's part of the Christ life. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Hmm. So it doesn't matter whether I like the music right, or whether I'm being fed, which is a real problem in the church today. Hmm. Look, everybody's looking for something deep. Right. And they want to be fed. 
when in reality, that's not what the disconnected person needs. They need something elementary. And Jesus was brilliant right. at teaching profound biblical truths in simple elementary ways. And so I've got to get over my preferences. I call it the sin of preference in the church. Mm. Yeah. And it's this kind of consumer mindset that our generation, our culture has gotten into that we need to walk into a place and sit there while they feed us while, and we're judging whether we like the music, whether we like where the tables are set up at this restaurant we go to and and we're very comfortable, but, but courageous leaders step out and, and they do change the status quo. So whenever you see something, you think a status quo that needs to be changed as a leader, what, what steps do you take to make that change or to challenge a status quo? Well, first you got to recognize it. You got to acknowledge it. You know, it's tough to confront yourself and say, you know, hey, I'm going through the motions, right? But we, we are not shaking the gates of hell in through our church. And I've got to recognize that. And two, I've got to be willing to begin to talk to some safe people. And I would just say to pastors who are listening today and young pastors, I think we try to do too much behind the pulpit and that can be a little bit cowardly. Mm. You know, I think this starts in coffee shops mm. and in deacons meetings first, right. you know, and with a few trusted givers and, and, and leaders in our church. And it, it begins to, to, that discussion begins in circles, not in rows. Mm, yeah, you know, that's amazing. To so get some leaders to, to on the same page, take them on a journey where they begin to, you know, a lot of pastors are getting up right now and trying to change their church through the pulpit. And certainly you can affect change, but if you start there, it's like setting off a bomb and you can get fired. You do the right thing the wrong way and you still get fired. Right. <laughs> That's what I tell pastors all the time. And especially young leaders like you, Zach, like you need to hear that. You know, mm-hmm. I started the church when I was 28. I was always right. I just often wasn't righteous about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And there's a pride aspect to wanting to change the status. Yes. You know right. yes, I know it's yes. better for you than you know it's better for you. you know, yeah. And really so you got to take people on a journey. Right. To help them know what you know and see what you see and help pull the scales off their eyes. Mm, change starts in circles rather than in the rows. I, I we know that. that. Yeah, it's true. For, it's, it's not just true in small groups. Like it's true for leadership. Right. You know, yeah. so I, I would, you know, tell, I tell guys, man, pick out a great book on, you know, ecclesiology that you really resonate with and believe with and take, take your deacons through, through it in over a course of a year. <laughs> take your time. Yeah. <laughs> Seven pages at a time and discuss it. You know, right. until they start thinking like you think and seeing what you see, right. uh, et cetera. Yeah. And it's a slow process and it takes a lot of patience too. If you want to change the status quo, it takes a lot of patience. If you, I mean, if you look at what we're seeing right now and you look at where Martin Luther King Jr. was in Birmingham, where y'all are in Alabama at the March on Washington. And if he was not patient with the slow change of the status quo, we would not to be where we are and where we're going today. You know what? He understood that all of it won't happen in my lifetime. Right. Like he knew that he got it, mm-hmm. you know, and we think we've got to do it all right now. And it's just, it didn't get into this shape overnight. It's not going to change with one message series or one vision message. You know, it's going to take a while. Frankly, it's going to take beyond our lifetime to affect the change we really want to affect most of the time. I feel like I may live my whole life for what God wants to do through my children. Mm. Yeah. And that sort of helps me focus on the long game. Right. And that's just a mindset switch we have to have as a leader. 
especially young leaders. This is a next generation leader podcast. Yeah. I tell young leaders all the time, Zach, in your twenties and thirties, I know you want to change the world, but it is way more about what Christ wants to do in you than what he wants to do through you. I know that crushes you guys. I know <laughs> it hurts. It hurts. But you, you just won't have a clue until you're 40. I love you enough to tell you that. Well, I thank you. Thank you for being courageous enough to tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but right now, like all of this is cumulative. It's interesting to me that Andy Stanley started his church when he was 40 years old. Right. It's interesting to me that Chris Hodges started his church when he was 40 years old. Now, did they lose 20 years or did they skip over a lot of pain hmm. by being patient right. and stepping into the senior leader role for the first time at 40 years of age? Yeah. You know, and their yeah. church just boom, you know. So when we get in too big a hurry, like for instance, church planting and multi-site, the number, the top two reasons those fail. They move too quickly, right. not enough people, not enough resources, you know, at the outset, cause they're in a big hurry and yeah. you get in big, you get in a big hurry, many of the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's purpose prevails. I love it. I love it. See a change that needs to happen. Look beyond the status quo and be patient and make a change in circles, not rows. I love it. That's number one, Sean, number two, courageous leaders confront things proactively. We have to, we have to look proactively. What does this look like for the courageous leader in us? Well, I, I see a lot of leaders who fail to deal with things in the church, in the team. You know, you got a, you got a deacon that's passive aggressive. He's a wet blanket, right? You know, he would vote against Jesus if he walked in the room in the flesh, you know, and everybody knows it. Yeah. But I know Zach's that guy, but I won't schedule a lunch with Zach and just say, Zach, I love you but we got to come to some kind of oneness. Right. I want to fight for koinonia with you because mm. man, I don't know if you've noticed it, but you're one of the most negative people I've ever met in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and those conversations are hard. They're oh so my hard. gosh. Like that. That's why most churches aren't growing. We've chosen, right. we've chosen yeah. to stop growing because we won't call out the Fred, the Zach, the Sean, you know, the worship pastor that's great on stage that acts like a jerk between Sundays and in the right. hallways, you know, the gossip, the venting, the backbiting, uh, man, church discipline right. used to be so common, hmm. but now we just kind of live and let live the age of the mega church. We just sort of live with a certain percentage of those people and, you know, koinonia and unity does not happen naturally. You got to be proactive. Right. And when there is lack of unity, when there is lack of alignment, when there is passive aggressiveness, when there is gossiping and venting and backbiting and like, I got to call it out. I've got to be proactive. Jesus said, if you're there at the altar and you remember somebody's got something against you, you leave your gift. You know, what do we do? We defriend them on Facebook, but pretend right. publicly nothing ever happened, you know? Right. Oh, totally. Uh, so so we, that's what I mean by being proactive. You know, you, you got a staff member that starts acting weird towards you, you right. know, instead of walking on eggshells around each other for months. Yeah. Hey, man, could just be me, Zach. But, uh, you know, I just noticed that, you know, for instance, you got up and walked out of the meeting when it was my turn to talk three weeks in a row. Yeah. <laughs> you may not have meant it that way, but... Seem like there's something going on here. 
And nine times out of 10, there is. We're going to be proactive about it and try to get that out into the open. Yeah. And just as patience and change of the status quo kind of compounds, so does uh, these little things that if you get up in the meeting when I'm, I'm supposed to talk once, second, it, it compounds. And then my frustration compounds until I just blow up. And then I'm, I'm not proactive about it. I'm, I'm reactive to, about it. And then it causes bigger issues than we ever needed to have. And, and so I think being proactive is huge in, in those conversations and even talking about how leaders see issues that could be coming to their flock. So kind of talk about that as well, how leaders think, can kind of see yeah, I think, the future. I think churches ought to have more conflict. Right. The opposite of conflict is not peace. It's artificial harmony. That's what mm-hmm. a lot of churches have. They don't have unity. They have artificial harmony. Right. Church staffs, we work with them all the time. Like they're being nice. They're being polite. They're being cordial. They walk on eggshells around each other. They try not to offend each other. There's all this jockeying for position and resources and a staff doesn't make a team, but it can become one. Right. And how do you pull all that together? I, I think it takes robust dialogue. It takes what my wife and I call intense fellowship. You know, <laughs> we would rather have intense fellowship than artificial harmony. Oh, every day. And live and let live. And a lot of churches have just chosen to live and let live. Let that group over there, that Sunday school class, live and let live. You know, let that staff member live and let live. Let that senior pastor that's acting like a jerk, you know, between Sundays, get away with it. Like all that's real necessary, you know, to maintain health, to be more proactive with all that. Yeah. And I love what you said about the opposite of conflict is not peace. It's, it's artificial harmony and it's this fake harmony that is not pushing towards the mission and whenever people, and I think that the purpose of lunch after Sunday services has completely shifted from what it should be to where we're talking about what we learned, how we can apply it to our life. to now we're talking about what songs we didn't like, what the pastor said we didn't like. and, And it's just, it's bickering and it's not, it's not productive and it's not leading toward the mission being found uh, collectively. And right. It's, it's hurtful. But it's we can hurtful. change that. We could. We if are we're courageous. If we're courageous. We are changing that. That's right. And that's what we need to change if we are to be courageous leaders. Okay, Sean, number three, courageous leaders choose radical candor. I love this. Kind of flesh this out for us. Yeah. So here's the commitment I've made to my staff over the years. And to leaders around me, my, my deacons, my elders, my finance team, whoever it might be, my leaders in the church, I'm not going to go home and say something to my spouse about you that I'm not willing to say to you. Mm. Yeah. That's my commitment to you. That's what I mean by radical candor. Like, we're, we're going to talk to each other, not about each other. We're going to be loyal publicly. Behind closed doors, we're going to shoot really more straight with each other. It means we're probably going to have more conflict. Right. But what I'm not going to do is lack integrity. Pastors are the biggest liars, man. Like we'll shake people's hands and tell them we love you. And, you know, we don't love them. Right. (laughs) We wish they would die and depart to heaven. Yeah. You know, so we wouldn't have to deal with them anymore Uh, instead of being radically candid. And it is, by the way, one of the best ways to disciple people. You know, Proverbs says wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Do you think about that? So I've told my leaders over the years, we're not going to multiply kisses around here. I don't, I don't want kisses multiplied to me. No, I'm not going to multiply kisses to you. You're going to know 
when you're not meeting my expectations, you're going to know when you frustrated me and I want you to give me that same luxury. Don't you go home and tell your spouse something negative about me and throw up on them about me. Cause one, they've got to listen to my preaching on Sunday. Right. <laughs> yeah. You just shut down their ability to hear from God through my preaching. Don't do that to them and don't do that to us. Mm-hmm. And don't you go talk to some, some other staff person, and say, so you got to get it off your chest. Venting is not biblical. It's not profitable. It's not beneficial. We're going to talk to each other. Right. And I'm going to share with you my, what I call my last 10%. Most leaders say 90% of what they're thinking. They hold back the last 10%. We have a last 10% rule on my teams. We're going to say the last 10%. I want it. And I'm going to give it to you. And man, when you get to that place, like it builds trust like that. Immediately. Yeah. Builds trust like that. That's you. And there's a reason that you you say radical in front of candor because it's so hard and, and naturally it's so foreign. It's it is so foreign. foreign, right? You know, because it we is run radical from, in today's society, right? And we run from conflict. And because if you do share your last ten percent with someone, or you allow someone to share their last ten percent with you, it is going to create content or conflict. And you have to have that to move forward. So, Sean, I'd ask you why? Why as a as a culture are we so prone to running from conflict? And how can we change that? Well, it comes down to courage and it comes down to being secure in your own skin. It comes down to principles, you know, being, if you think about it, it lacks integrity, Zach, Mm -hmm. for me to say something about you, I'm not willing to say to you. Right. So really for a lot of spiritual leaders, it's like, doggone it. (laughs) You know, can you say that on a podcast that originates in Dallas? Doggone it. No, you can. They'll they'll be able to interpret. (laughs) (laughs) Doggone it. You know, that lacks integrity. Right. And I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to talk to Zach and not about Zach. And really it's repenting. Hey guys, to be honest with you, I know I've been guilty from venting about some of you to other people on this team. Right. Cause they've caught you doing it. Say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm going to stop. And if you by chance have been guilty of that, we're going to put a stake in the ground today. We're going to start talking to each other, not about each other and be a person of principle and, and stretch that muscle, you know, of honesty. Cause it is a, it is a, it is a muscle that can be stretched. Yeah. And it needs to be stretched. And, and I think it also bringing in accountability as well for the people of your team, because if you do as the leader, you place out the, the mandate or the, the, we will say the last 10% as a collective whole. And I will, you have the ability to look at me in the face and say that that wasn't right because you were talking about someone and not to them. And you need to go right now and tell them. Yeah. And if Zach comes to me about Mike, I'm going to say, have you talked to Mike about this? Right. Yeah. (laughs) If not, can I hold you accountable? Yeah. And that is so frustrating to hear. I hate that. (laughs) Yeah. It's so good. I'm going to hold you accountable, you know, to go in and talk and to, to, to Mike. So when I was a pastor, I would have people come to me and complain about another staff person. And I'm like, well, have you talked, you talked to Zach about that? Well, no, I just felt like, you know, I need to just tell you, no, 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 no. That's not what the gospel says. Right. (laughs) The gospel says I'm supposed to go to the person Mm. that's upset me, you know? And so that, that's, that's what you mean. That's what I mean by accountability, you know, to get it done. Mm. The last 10%, we have to choose radical candor because it is a choice. Like you said, it's foreign. It's not natural. It's not what I want to do naturally. I don't know about you, Sean, but 
it, we got to do it if we want to move forward in progress. Number four, courageous leaders choose respect over popularity. This is tough. In the age of social media, in the age of likes and follows and, and views, we want to be liked. Naturally, we want to be liked, but I would much, uh, much rather choose respect. Kind of flesh this out too, Sean. Well, I, I use the analogy of my three half-grown kids. I don't look this old, but I've got a 22-year-old, a 17-year-old, wow. and a 16-year-old. I don't look that old, do I? Not do at I, look all. That old? No. I didn't think so. I didn't think so. You fooled me. Um, but many, many times as a parent, you know, I've had to walk out of the room mm. knowing they probably wished I was dead at that moment. Right. <laughs> Because I had to discipline them, because I had to challenge them, because I had to, you know, take away privileges, have difficult conversations, take away privileges. But I knew it was the best thing for them. The worst thing I could do for them is just tell them what they want to hear and let them do what they want to do. You know, and and I think um, being a spiritual leader is a lot like raising kids. Right. In any in any circle. Like there are many times when you have to walk out of a room walk away from a pulpit and say, Hey, you know what? I'm probably not going to get a lot of pats on the back today. Right. Everybody's not going to share this sermon, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it needed to be said. I want to season it with grace, you know, but there's some truth needs to come down the lane today. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and do. it's yeah. true with, you know, leaders in the room and calling them out one-on-one and in circles and rows to, you know, really do the difficult thing and be willing to in that meeting. I mean, I, I, I had to get on one of my own team members this week and he's a close friend of mine, but I had to give him a little bit of a rear end chewing, you know, because he had dropped the ball. And to be honest with you, I mean, he's a close friend of mine. We've been on vacation together. You know, we travel around the world together. There's a big part of me wants to shy away from that conversation because I don't want to, he's my friend and I don't want it to be awkward, mm. but I know like this is an opportunity for him to get better. Iron sharpens iron. One friend sharpens another heat and friction. Right. So I've got to be willing to apply that. And it's never comfortable when heat and friction is applied to somebody, you know, and they want to tend to bristle at it. And so you have to kind of walk out of that room sometimes and be okay. Driving home on Sunday afternoon from that sermon saying, Hey, Probably won't get a bunch of social media likes today, but that's not my job. I'm not a, Paul said, if pleasing people were my aim, I could not be Christ's servant. That's right. You know, I, I can't, the only, only one set of people pleasers, two set of people pleasers in, 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 in Old Testament, New Testament, false prophets and Pharisees. Mm. They were not people a group pleasers. I want to be identified with at all. Yeah, right. But they were people pleasers, you know, and the minute we kind of fall into people pleasing business, we, 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 we fall in one of those categories, I think, honestly. Yeah. Well, kind of talk about the, the, how facts and feelings play in together. Cause you have the truth you need to bring to someone like, say like this guy on your staff, you, he, he drops the ball. You've got to tell him and you mentioned seizing it with grace, seasoning it with grace. What does that look like? How do you, I'm glad you asked deliver that. Yeah. So Jesus was full of grace and truth. Mm. Think about that. Yeah. He was full of grace and truth. Now I'm a truther. I'm more naturally a truther. You can tell that. Okay. My wife's more naturally a gracer. So when we first got married, we would only argue about once every three months. 
but 90 days of sin would come out in one conversation. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? She'd been holding on to to it and it all just comes blowing out. You know, she had pent it up for a long time. I'm a truther. I'm just going to say what needs to be said. And if you need counseling for it, so be it, you know? So as a truther, I need to learn to filter what I'm saying and season it with grace. You know, a, a gracer needs to speak up more. And a truther needs to shut up more. Right. And, and, and if you're a truther, you need to be in relationship with some gracers. And before I'm going to go talk to one of my teammates about something, I will talk to my wife after I've committed to go talk to him. I'll say, Hey, here's what I'm thinking of saying to Kevin. And she'll say, whatever you do, Sean, don't say it like you just said it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> say anything but that. Yeah. Don't say it like that. Like You're right. But here's a better way. Mm to say that, you know, yeah. and it's, it's saved my life a million times, oh, you know, no. to not react, respond and, and season what I say, you know, with grace and then gracers, I need to learn to speak up. I need to learn to be more truthful. I say, I'm fine. I'm not fine. I'm not fine. I'm lying, you know, yeah. and I, I say, I'm okay with this decision. I'm not, I'm just afraid of speaking up. So it's, it's, it's whether you, whether you need to become more like Jesus in the area of grace or truth, it's making it kind of a focus of your leadership. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And, and one of the quotes you used in, in this kind of teaching was, it was a first lady, Rosalind Carter. We don't know if she stole this from someone else. She could have she said a great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but where they ought to be. And, and so kind of where does a leader put themselves in a position to, I know where we need to go. And I'm going to get you there in this way. But it's, you may not always like it. We're going to have to be radically candid about it. We're going to have to confront things. We're going to have to challenge the status quo to get there. But kind of what does a leader do to get their team there? To me, you know, God is such the exemplary leader. I mean, he is the perfect leader, perfect in every way, but he's the perfect leader. Mm -hmm. And he, when he got ready to lead the people out of Israel, he said, listen, I, let me, I'm going to take you to a place. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Now that wasn't a literal term. Right. <laughs> the, 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 there were no rivers of milk, <laughs> yeah. you know, flowing through the promised land, but he painted a picture of a desirable future. Mm-hmm. For example, in today's world, okay, man, pastors could get a lot more done if we'd focus on what we're for <laughs> rather than what we're against. Yeah. Yeah. Painting a picture of a desirable future. To, to, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., was, he was not against racism. He was for equality yeah. of all men. Huge. And he said, I have a dream. And he painted a picture of a desirable future and people wanted to follow him. Mm-hmm. Positional leadership. You follow me because I'm the pastor. I'm the boss. It's the lowest level of leadership. Yeah. Personhood leadership. You follow me because who I am and where I'm going and how I model the way. Mm-hmm. Because you want to be like me. You want to go where I'm going. Man, that's the highest level. Hey, come go with me. Let me paint a picture of where I, not my vision, 
God's vision for you and me in the future. And what I see, I have a dream and I want you to become part of the dream with me. And man, I think more people than what we give them credit for would like to be part of something like that. Yeah. Instead, we just couch it in the wrong terms. You know, we beat people up. We're down on people. We preach against everything mm. instead of painting a, a desirable future of that land flowing with milk and honey that we can take people to. Mm. I mean, that is some of the best advice young leaders especially can get you because you social media is just peppered with things that people are against rather than the desirable future of a happier day of what we are for. And, and just the quote in there that, MLK was not against racism. He was for unity. And, and we have to be, know what we're for and we have to, we have to pursue it. And, and it starts with wanting and choosing respect over popularity. That's where it starts. And that's where we have to get to if you want to be a courageous leader. That's amazing. Sean, number five, courageous leaders charge forward in the face of uncertainty. Also hard, but this is kind of where you see the the William Wallace character in Braveheart, where he is just charging forward on his horse after as he's screaming freedom, because that's their goal. That's what they're going for. But he's charging forward, but he knows he's going to hit get hit with opposition. He knows it's uncertain. How is this applied to courageous leadership? It comes down to decision making. Yeah, you know, um, I, the churches that are stuck. All right. Get, get paralysis by analysis. Mm. Like they're scared to death of making a decision that's going to offend those two to right. four families in the church. Um, researchers say, I've heard Ed Stetzer say this, the average pastor leaves because of four families. Mm. You know, so, so we're terrified of making a decision that's going to offend somebody, you know, or make the wrong decision, who we might lose, you know, whatever. But my, my observation is fast growing churches make tons of more bad decisions than stuck churches. They just correct the decision more rapidly too, because they're not, they're not terrified of making a bad decision. They, they don't, I, I, hi, my name is Sean Lovejoy. I'm a recovering perfectionist. Right. You know, I want to overthink everything. I want everything to be perfect. I want to make every perfect decision. I want everybody to agree with me. I want to take a hundred percent of everybody with me. Well, Jesus didn't even do that. Right. You know? Right. And and I think leaders have got to be okay with making decisions and being if you what Craig Groeschel says, if you wait until you're certain, you're falling further behind. Oh yeah. And so you, you gotta live with uncertainty. Me, I just fail my way forward. How many times have I failed? I cannot count. <laughs> yeah. But I but I'm focused on learning. And that's how you learn. So churches, is this the right worship service time? Is this the right date to reenter? I don't know. Do it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Is this the right thing? Should we launch a campus? Should we not? I don't know. Let's do it. Guys, we don't know if this campus will be successful, but we're going to keep trying things until it succeeds, mm. until we reach more people. Well, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. And great organizations are willing to take risks and they're willing to embrace uncertainty and they're willing to be wrong. Yeah. And celebrate wrongness. Exactly. That's like huge. we celebrate our wrongness at Courage to Lead. <laughs> yeah. How do y'all do that? What does that look like? Oh, we laugh. One, we laugh at ourselves. Yeah. Two, we purposely pull the trigger often before we win. Third, three, we, we, we celebrate, you know, the when somebody might get, gets it wrong, we 
messed things up, spent a bunch of money, we wasted it, whatever. You know, man, we just, hey, we, but look, let's, let's debrief about what we learned in the process. Yeah. If we learned something, it wasn't an expense. It was an investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's amazing. And, and and on the flip side of that too, I think if you're moving towards something that is certain and it, there's no uncertainty, there's no just will this work, will this not? I don't think your dreams are big enough. I don't think where you're going, where you're what do you need God for? If exactly. it all adds up and it all makes sense, where, where where does faith come in? You know. Now I think there's nothing wrong with planning, right? And I think you need to balance faith and wisdom. You know, you need to seek counsel. The numbers need to make some kind of sense, you know, um, need not be in too big of a hurry. I mean, there are some milestones that you can set into place, but don't don't wait until it all adds up and, right. cert, you know, success is a certainty because you're just falling further, further and further behind. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it was Dwight D. Eisenhower said something like plans are a waste of time, but planning is indispensable. You've got to plan, you've got to be prepared, you've got to move forward. But if you wait for the perfect plan to be put in place, just like you've said, you've fallen so far, far behind, it's, it's too late. It's too late. So for you as a leader, what, does courage, what do courageous leaders do to lead their people or inspire their people to move towards the uncertainty? Because a lot of people just want to sit on the rock and they're hard to move. But what does it look like for, to move them or to inspire them towards the uncertain waters? So I'll try to answer that the most, best I can. You know, if you think about Jesus, if you contrast Jesus and the Pharisees, when Jesus came along, if you think about Jesus when he came along, right. he was not preaching a new sermon. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Well, that wasn't a deep sermon. Jeremiah had preached that one. Yeah. You know, it wasn't new. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Moses preached that sermon. The Pharisees were preaching those same sermons. And yet Jesus comes along. He's preaching out of the same book the Pharisees are preaching out of. And the Gospels record that thousands of people began to leave the teachings of the Pharisees and flock to the teachings of Jesus. They're teaching out of the same book, Zach, which, by the way, is a parallel I see 2,000 years later. You got tons of people leaving Pharisaical churches to flock to leaders who lead and teach with passion. Hmm. And I tell leaders all the time, yeah, I'm from Alabama. We're 48th on every national list. Thank God for Mississippi and Louisiana. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. So I graduated with 64 people in high school, 3.0 GPA, not on a 4.0 scale. Right. 2.85 GPA at a college. And I lead a huge coaching organization. I've been very successful in real estate, multi-site mega church pastor. I've never been the most brilliant. Right. And you do not have to be the most brilliant leader Hmm. who wins the most passionate leader, right? The most passionate leader. People are drawn to passion. So it's the same words. It's the same sermon. It's the same songs. But there's passion. Mm-hmm. And if, if young leaders today could get that today, not worry so much about being right, right. <laughs> but being passionate, you don't have to be the most brilliant, just the most passionate in the room and people will follow you. John the Baptist was crazy. Martin Luther King Jr., to use his example, he's crazy. The guy was crazy. Yeah. It got him killed. You know, yeah. Jesus, crazy. And on and on and on and on and on. So Stephen Furtick, Crazy. Joel Osteen, crazy. Yeah. I'm telling you, these world changers, okay, they have as many haters as they do fans and followers, but they don't really care what you think. 
Right. And in the meantime, their churches are winning because they're passionate. Totally. Joel Osteen and Stephen Furtick, you can't get more different than that. Oh, yeah. What do they have in common? They don't really care what you and I think about them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what you're they're say. passionate and it's attractive. It's magnetic. If where there is no vision, people perish. The opposite is also true. Mm. Where there is a vision, where there is passion, you know, Martin Luther said, you set a pastor, a preacher on fire, people will come from miles around to watch them burn. Right. You know, and I, I feel like if there's anything young pastors need to get today is don't worry about being right. Just overflow with the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and preach with conviction and passion. Ian Bounds called it unction. Unction. Yeah. And lead with it. And people are attracted to that, man. And um, that's encouraging for less than brilliant people like me. Right. And me as well. <laughs> well, just, I mean, just to recap what courageous leaders do one courageous leaders challenge the status quo Two, courageous leaders confront things proactively. Courageous leaders choose radical candor. It's a choice. Courageous leaders choose again, respect over popularity. And last but not least, courageous leaders charge forward in the face of uncertainty. I mean, I love it. If you can get that down, you can face anything. You can face the uncertain. And if you're passionate about it, if you believe in yourself and you believe in the mission and what you're leading people on, people will follow and they'll flock to follow just like what you're talking about. Passion leads to it. So last but not least, I just want to ask you before we wrap up, before we leave, Sean, what a question I love asking all of our leaders that we get to talk to is what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? If you were to look at 20-year-old Sean Lovejoy, what would you tell that person? What do the young people need to hear today? Don't be so hard on yourself. Mm. Don't be so hard on yourself. You know, there's a thin line between conviction and condemnation. And my Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So stop condemning yourself. Stop condemning everybody else. Take a chill pill. Give yourself some grace. Give others around you some grace. Don't expect them to be perfect. If you're not perfect, we all fall short of the glory of God. And that allows you to give yourself some grace and some patience with yourself, with others uh, on the process of sanctification and growth. And you can enjoy your journey. Zach, the biggest lie from hell I ever believed as a leader. Here it is. This is worth our time today. When I get to here, it'll be easier. When I get to here, I'll be happy. Yep. And I'm telling you what, that is a satanic mirage. Right. I wasn't any happier with four people than I was with over 3,000 as a pastor. You know, I wasn't any happier. I'm not any happier today with dozens and dozens and dozens of coaching clients all across North America and 20 coaches than I was doing it out of the trunk of my car, you know, six years ago when we started. Right. Joy is a fruit of the spirit, man, not a fruit of our circumstances. So you got to enjoy the journey. And what, 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 what am I learning right now? You know, my very first church staff experience, like I served with this 350 pound obese pastor who slept on noon every day. He was a lazy glutton. And I'm like, what? I'm in purgatory, man. If there, yeah. if, I believe in purgatory for the first time, you know, what in the world? Funny. But you know what? I learned so much. I learned so much under his leadership about who I wanted to be and the kind of leader I wanted to be, the kind of church I wanted to lead, kind of who I didn't want to be, you know, and God used me 
And today there are people who are in full-time ministry because I served that little church, you know, in, in, in Louisiana. And so, so take a chill pill guys, smile, smile, Zach, smile, you know, enjoy the journey and enjoy your family and enjoy your time in school and enjoy, you know, each season that God has you in. And there, there's a power and attractiveness to that as well. Mm. Well, I love it. Well, Sean, thank you so much for your time. I learned so much and appreciate it more than you know. Thanks, man. 